0: The Enterprise is responding to a distress signal from one of our ships and is currently engaged in rescue operations. Do you wish to assist us? I find no evidence of a disabled ship. My
1: instruments indicate that ours are the only two vessels in this area. The other ship is interspatially trapped. It should reappear in one hour and 53 minutes. We request you stand by
0: until then. three minutes, but be correct,
1: we do not tolerate deceit. Transfer complete. Hello, and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two truck fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me in deep space. This is Tyler Orton, looking forward to a future
0: in which medicinal problems are solved with alcohol. <laughs>
1: That is every episode of the original series, almost, (laughs) and uh, this week we are here to talk about an original series episode, one of the all-time classics, The Tholian Web from Season 3, and we're going to look at how the Tholian Web informs the future of Trek, or I, I guess kind of the present as to where we are at this particular moment.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Look, I, we could do a plot summary. Look, if you're listening to this episode, you're very familiar with the Tholian web, but I think there are a lot of um, threads, so to Ooh. speak, in which we could uh, look at how this informs, you know, uh, future episodes of Star Trek to come, as well as where the kind of the series stands with strange new worlds and i think there's a lot of cool things that we can ask ourselves about how this is just kind of one of those episodes that kind of stands out with i think a lot of the spock stuff going on the -hmm. dynamic with mccoy and how that might inform strange new worlds in the future as well as i don't know whenever i watch tos and even when chatner's not like the center of the episode when he is on screen he just stands out so much you know and i think this is just one, one of the fine examples of this here
1: The shot of him floating in space on the view screen, I'm like, (laughs) I hope Shatner got paid well for that because that is an image (laughs) I'll never forget. (laughs) I I have no doubts. Um,
0: It actually, it got me thinking again. Remember at that convention, um, it would have been summer 2022 in Vegas and had somebody ask Shatner if he took one of Nimoy's lines in a specific episode because it seemed as if it would have been more of a Spock line. The Shatner just looks at the guy's like... I mean, this is 50 years ago. I don't think I would have done that. Like, I don't know. And then I remember people on the Facebook groups were like, he of course would have remembered doing that. I'm just like, you're asking a 90 year old man to think about something that he did in the 1960s. You know, I'm just like, okay, people. Okay, people. Sure.
1: Well, it's like, I, I did an interview fairly recently with Barbara Feldon for um Hearts, And it's like, I uh, talked to her kind of about this. Like, at the time, when you're going through these experiences, you have your personal life. We know Shatner was going through a divorce through part of uh, the original series. Like, do you have, like, vivid memories of the show versus what's going on in your personal life? And she was like, no. <laughs> like, you remember, like, kind of key moments or something, but it's work. You're focused more on your personal life. And I suspect that's the case with Shatner as well.
0: If somebody asked me a specific thing I said at work like seven years ago during one particular week, <laughs> I, I'd be like, I don't, I don't know. It's po- hey, you know. Let's talk about the podcast here, Cam. Um, yeah, which we record it, which yeah. means we get to listen to ourselves over and over again. Of course. Um, I wouldn't remember something I said on the podcast specifically, you know, from like seven years ago. So I ease up on Shatner a little. Uh, uh, he, I, I don't know the man as a person, uh, but he is a great leading man in terms of kind of that television presence and, and movie star presence in the uh, the Star Trek films as well.
1: Definitely. And also we, uh, you know, on our master list are always giving pitches for possible topics and sometimes we have to actually google to see if we've done them before so yes (laughs) stop you know picking on shatner at least in that regard the man probably doesn't remember a line from 50 years ago
0: (laughs) i will give credit to you this is more inside uh kind of knowledge of how subspace works cam uh that that the listeners might be curious about i don't know but like i like in terms of that master list i'll go through it i'll be like cam have we done this before you're much better at remembering um than i am and so i'll give props to you for
1: that Probably because I make the artwork, so that kind of maybe hammers it into my head a bit.
0: Well, you might make the artwork; I make the show. Mm, what it is?
1: Fair enough. Know. Fair enough. Just as Shatner makes the show, you make the show that is Subspace.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, let's dive into the Tholian web and maybe the uh, the threads we could pick up on here. Oh, look! A couple years ago, we were looking at you know other classic episodes that we could do. Mm-hmm. in terms of Star Trek, uh, the original series, uh, those kind of look-backs. And, and one that we picked was Galileo 7. And there was a very interesting one, one that we definitely wanted to dive into because that's where we see a lot of learning on the part of Spock in terms of how to lead and how to take command. Um, jump forward a couple seasons, and here in the Tholian Web, this is a guy, he might have his detractor in McCoy. And I think this is a great McCoy and Spock episode, at yeah. one of the top out there. He might have a detractor in McCoy, but this is certainly a character who has grown a lot since Galileo 7 in terms of how to take command of a situation. Like, Spock absolutely kills it throughout, you know? Like, I, I remember <laughs> there's that one moment, Um, I think it was just before they're going to run the Captain Kirk death tape and it was, you know, uh, McCoy saying to Spock like, "Okay, if you get us out of the situation, I they'll pin a medal on you and you'll be able to be in command of this ship." Spock says, "Doctor, I am in command of the Enterprise." Yeah. And it was just like it was so badass, you know. But it's so great, such great like dynamic going back and forth because you know, McCoy's immediate reply is like, "I would like to rectify this situation," you know, and it's just mm-hmm. like. Oof! You know, it's just like like it, this is what drama is. It, it's kind of like internal conflict in which you have um, two characters, two of whom that y- you can be rooting for, but they have different goals in mind. And I think this is what drama is supposed to be. And this is why, like Tholian Web, I think is just so informative of kind of the dynamic between those characters. But I think it's going to be interesting as maybe uh, further into this episode of Subspace, we, we we can talk a little bit about what it might do to inform you know the future of these characters in Strange New Worlds as well.
1: Definitely, and I think what I find so interesting about this episode is every time I go to rewatch it, I kind of forget how small a part the Tholians are of the entire story, and that's really just kind of like a, a little bit of added menace coming from the Tholians. There's so many other things going on, but what I like is that you've had for the entire run of the original series, you've had the Kirk in the middle and Spock and Bones on either side, and there's always the question like, would Bones and Spock be friends if Kirk was not around? Like, would they have a relationship? How would that work? And to get an episode like this, where you can see the actual evolution of Spock, and this is not a show known for being particularly serialized, it's very episodic, I think is very interesting. And like, the way that you have him, you know, on the bridge, in the captain's chair, and you know, the Tholians pop back up, and Spock just kind of says, kind of almost amused, like, uh, that renowned Tholian punctuality. Like, he feels at ease in the captain's chair, and it's just done in such a kind of, like, good-humored way and kind of an enjoyable way just to see the character looking confident. But you compare that to that Galileo 7 episode, which we reviewed on the show, and it's just like, this is night and day. And to see him now deal with McCoy, I just can't imagine the dynamic playing the same If you go back to Galileo 7, where Bones, I believe, was there, and it was even more hostile, but like, you can see how Spock is now in a different frame of mind in terms of how to deal with Bones, and I really like seeing that character growth. I don't know that Bones has grown a lot, but I think maybe Bones is maybe quicker to acknowledge that Spock is maybe more on the level than he was in Galileo 7.
0: Well, and ready to assert himself in this situation. I think you bring up a very mm-hmm. good question. Uh, would, would these two be friends uh, without Kirk? You know, um, yeah. I, I'm going to go on a tiny bit of a tangent, and, and then I'll weave my way back into uh, what that question is that, that I want to discuss there, though. is yeah. um, it, It's also the directing of this episode in terms of the way that they frame Spock when he first gets into the command seat. They're They're giving him that kind of like low angle hero shot, you know, to, you know, telegraph to the viewers that he is in command of this situation it's just those small little things that i really do appreciate we're talking about like 1960s television you know this wasn't like great cinema of its time but that doesn't mean that they weren't able to put a lot of interesting thought and i just think about even episodes like metamorphosis where they're doing so much with color yeah you know it, it doesn't seem like so obvious that you could you know do amazing directing in this era. And they even fired
1: the director off this one as well, too. Oh, I, I so had a,
0: no idea. Yeah. So there are like two directors for this?
1: Yeah, yeah. The, the one of the directors they had actually was running behind schedule, so they replaced him. Um well I don't know who to give my praise to in this situation, but <laughs> both um... of
0: them. They both did wondrous <laughs> jobs. <laughs> yeah. Um I, I did get a laugh though because remember we'd get those like point of view shots of like the people that were falling into that kind of uh, interspatial delirium. And you and I, just last night, we saw, like, that Yargos uh, Lanthimos movie, uh, Poor Things, that just came out starring Emma Stone. And, um, I don't know, do you think Yargos Lanthimos could have directed, you know, kind of the Tholian web of its day? (laughs) It would have been much longer and uh, much weirder. (laughs) (laughs) It it, it would be a movie, look, if they wanted to do a Yargos Lanthimos Star Trek movie, I'd watch that. You know, it'd be something
1: interesting. Yeah. Oh, you would be unforgettable, and fans would be, at least a section of fans would be so angry about it that it would fuel decades of discussion and rage.
0: (laughs) It would also mean, like, I think uh, Spock would be buck naked through about, like, a good, you know, what, 20% of this movie? I think you may have won back some people with that one. (laughs) Okay, okay, there you
1: go.
0: Um, so, Cameron, going back to that question you you posed there, you know, would these two would would Spock and McCoy be friends without Kirk around? Um, the answer, you know, like no, but maybe like I I want to kind of workshop that a little bit though because we're watching Strange New Worlds. I'd be shocked if you know we we get to like the the end of its run and we don't have the introduction. Uh, mccoy at some point you know there's going to be some interesting overlap with mbenga i i don't exactly know i still don't (laughs) exactly know why mbenga agrees to like demote himself um at some point in the run of the series but um in this situation like i i um ethan peck's hitting it out of the ballpark with his performance um i think you and i came around on paul wesley's performance of uh in star trek you know like i i think the problem he has going for him is he's playing a character named jim kirk yeah whereas i think if it was a character named like jacob jablonski uh we'd be like oh that's kind of a groovy new character you know but w- we're liking the paul wesley performance more and more what i am wondering is how they kind of find somebody who makes sense to play mccoy you know because like i just wondered like you don't get this kind of um such aggressive kind of um hostility from, you know, uh, a main character towards a Spock nowadays, you know, like, what would the equivalent of that be? It, it, it's really tough to imagine. Um, I think they really, really want to find somebody like, like that really suits, it. because even, like, I, I you know, look at, like, Carl Urban, who I think was great, just mm-hmm. really channeling one DeFarce Kelly here, but it wasn't, like, that quite kind of, like, um oozing rage that we'd see sometime with uh, McCoy's sort of animosity towards spock here so like i'm very curious what they do with strange new worlds uh you know sometime
1: down the line well you know you think about the dynamic of the carl urban bones and the zach quinto spock and you see that most of all in star trek beyond where the two of them are stranded together and yes they're squabbling but a lot of it is played somewhat comedically it's like these two are kind of rough edges against each other but there's still kind of like a good humor about it. I think the closest you get to an actual original series like um, Spock and, um, and McCoy dynamic is actually in 2009, where it's actually Kirk trying to get Spock angry. And that's the kind of scene you get more in the original series, where it is actual antagonism going on versus just two guys that are kind of, you know, giving each other, you know, nudges and what have you.
0: What would be the closest dynamic uh you know the the spock mccoy dynamic what would be an analog in any other part of the franchise you know like um series you know like i I, like we never got that with like janeway and chakotay i don't know maybe like episode one of uh deep space nine with uh kira and cisco or or i guess i should say (laughs) cisco and picard um you know um I don't know what would be the kind of the closest analog. Uh, I'm sure there's stuff that went on in Picard season. <laughs> well, I know what it is. Okay, I in Picard season two. It was um, <laughs> Seven Saint Araphy. You manipulate people. I'm like, okay, I guess she does because you said so. But uh, like, I don't know. Is there anything that pops up to you?
1: I was thinking Neelix and Tom Paris during the Kes jealousy period of Star Trek Voyager. <laughs>
0: the best was when like Kes comes to one of the briefings and Tom pulls out a chair for her to sit on and, and Neelix is absolutely raging over that. <laughs> it's like, okay. I don't okay. know. That
1: stuff is pretty funny. But serious answer. I Like you can see the antagonism a bit in the um, Quark and Odo. It's different though because like it's not seething rage. No, and it's not like a professional situation either. Like, not in the same way. And very much like Odo has the power. Whereas I would say that like when it comes to Spock and McCoy, they're somewhat on evil, uh, even playing field. Okay. Um, Is there something from like Discovery where,
0: I mean, Stamets, like the, the first couple episodes that he was in, He was a very, very uh, confrontational sort of character there. Um, Yeah. They were trying to play that up in season four when somebody was commenting on his dynamic with Jet Reno. And it was, but it it seemed more playful. He's like, yeah, we all just fight like this. And then I was just (laughs) like, this is the lamest sort of like um, kind of confrontation you could have, you know, where everybody just like, they, they might make like kind of sarcastic comments, but it's not exactly what I think they're going for when it comes to like actual real conflict between the characters. It's like,
1: I do science this way, you do engineering that way. Oh, ho, ho. Well, maybe the best way to try to figure out if there's something similar is to look at other uh, outsider characters. So I'm thinking of like the Vulcans right away. I don't think there's really a comparison with Tuvok, but with uh, T'Pol, maybe... <sighs> No, like, there's the romantic sparks with Trip, but there is, like, kind of an antagonism between the two of them through a good chunk of early Enterprise, at least. Okay, like, especially, I'm thinking about, like, they
0: wouldn't, like, even want her at, like, dinner, you know? It was just kind of like... Yeah. It's like, really? Okay. In all fairness, she thought humans smell, you know, bad. So, um, although it seemed, if I recall correctly, didn't, like... Neelix also kind of agree, or sorry, not Neelix, but Flocks. Didn't he kind of like nod his head when uh, she remarked, made that remark? Uh, I think that is correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I guess we just do smell, and since then, aliens have been able to uh, kind of downplay it. Although there was this episode of Deep Space Nine in which they're commenting on Worf's fragrance, and I think mm. they kind of, they finally kind of decided he he smells like an
1: English garden or something. <laughs> Yeah. Earthy. <laughs> okay, I nailed it. I think I, I think I know what the comparison is. Pulaski and Data. Okay. Yes. 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 Um. Uh. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're on the ball. I don't know what the writers were thinking in terms of like, hey, let's bring a new recurring character in and just make her, uh, um, take aim at a beloved character and mm-hmm. just be like really, really mean spirited towards him. Like, I that, that's a, quite work you know in the same way that the mccoy and the spock dynamic does you know
1: well you mentioned that line earlier where spock says i am in charge of the enterprise data would never say that and i think that's the key difference is that spock has backbone uh, and spock is like self-aware enough to like recognize the dynamic whereas data is pinocchio he's somewhat clueless in social situations so you can't have that you can't cr- recreate that kind of dynamic with Pulaski and Data because it's like she's picking on a kid half the time it is you know I do want to go to a couple of uh Data moments when he takes command
0: that kind of pop out to me um that they're, they're not quite analogous but you, you made me think of them though uh Redemption Part 2 in which they mm. have that Armada uh looking for cloaked um, ships, and he's in command of the USS Sutherland, I believe. And there's that one engineer or tactical officer that doesn't think that androids would make good commanders. And um, just Data very professionally dealing with that guy. Hop forward two more seasons, and uh, we've got uh, I, I believe the Gambit two-parter. At uh, by this point, Riker's kidnapped along with Picard, and uh, Worf is not really digging. Data's command style to the point that Data has to take him into the ready room and tell him, you know, uh, you got to stop this. Uh, And then Worf agrees, and then he starts to walk out, and then Data says, I'm sorry if this has ended our friendship. And it was actually Worf that said, you know what? I'm the one that put our friendship at risk by undermining your command. I'm just like, okay. Mm. It, It also exemplifies kind of the growth of Data as a commander as well.
1: Yeah, it does. And I think, like, it's interesting to challenge kind of unconventional characters in command and kind of showcase why they're so good at it um and i think that's something that this episode does as well and i think one of my favorite elements of it is when you have you know uh, spock and mccoy really going at each other and then they play that tape and we see that you know kirk is very self-aware he obviously knew that if he died <laughs> that these two are going to go at it and the way he talks about how you know spock is capable of intuitive insight and that McCoy, like he has human, you know, the human ability to be flawed, but also to, you know, figure things out with insight in a way that uh, that would equal what McCoy could do. And that's when you kind of get the two of them, you know, kind of lowering the pressure. But I, what I love the most about that is at the end when Kirk comes back and says, you know, did you watch the tape? And both of them just completely play dumb and are like, oh, we didn't have time. And I feel like that may be... Maybe the greatest bonding moment between those two characters in the entire run of the series. Like the fact that their best friend comes back on the ship and there is now something like a secret between just the two of them that they aren't willing to share with Kirk. <laughs> he said,
0: no problems between you guys? And then I think I think it was Spock that said, uh, nothing worth reporting. And I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> um, but that death tape was, you know, it was, you know, Kirk saying like, I trust both of you. You guys need to trust in each other. Trust me when I say I trust in you. And I think, like, that's yet another good Kirk moment in what she. it's an episode he's not featured that heavily here. Um, Cam, there could be other death tapes from other captains. I'm not that interested in what, like, a Picard death tape is going to say. You know, hey, Riker, Crusher, please get along with each other. Like, I, I, like that's not the death tape I necessarily would be very interested about seeing. Like, what would be kind of a captain death tape? that you think would actually be rather interesting for this franchise.
1: Well, I think we're going to get possibly a Burnham death tape that runs about 17 minutes long, and is just inspirational speeches. Uh... Followed by crying. <laughs> a lot of crying. <laughs> uh, no, I'm trying—okay, so like, I mean, it would have been interesting to have like a, a, a Cisco voice from beyond, from the white light to the team of DS9. I think that one would interest me more just as a fan of that show and wanting to know where that character went. But, like, the other ones, like, I kind of feel like if something happens to Janeway, she's just like, Chakotay, you got this. Um, And Archer? No, no. She (laughs) says, you know what? I'm giving command to the ECH. (laughs) You, You can have the ship now. And Archer would be interesting, but I also feel like it would just be speaking directly to, to Paul and about their relationship and how it's evolved to a place of trust. I don't know that there's anything that would surprise me there. I think the Cisco one is the only one that could surprise me. What about a season
0: 1 Archer death tape in which he's probably addressing to Paul and Trip and saying, "Look, you guys need to kind of figure things out at this point." You know, not necessarily season 4 Archer, but I think season 1 Archer, he's Probably still trying to navigate whatever conflict would exist between those two. And let's be honest, he still has conflict with T'Pol at this point.
1: I feel like season one, the Archer death tape is just, head back to Earth, the mission is over. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Done. Um,
0: These gazelles can no longer spring through the savannah anymore.
1: Um, It's not going to be a long time getting from there to here. (laughs) No.
0: Uh, who else uh, would have, like, a fun death tape? Uh, well, a fun death tape, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> maybe not the best way to phrase it. Like, I, I think you make a very good point about Janeway. Um, what, okay, Pike? so what would the... Yeah, well, that's what I'm kind of wondering now. Like, his death tape... Obviously, he's still addressing Spock in this situation. It'd be Spock and Una. What would he have to say to the two of them? You know, in maybe a, a potentially tricky situation. I Like, I, there's not a lot of Spock and Una sort of like conflict going on in in strange new worlds right now
1: no and that's the thing i feel like whether it's janeway or whether it's pike they have very 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 strong number ones and actually picard as well to just take over the ship that they would trust whereas when you look at like spock yes he's obviously a very esteemed character in the world of star trek but there is that friction between him and mccoy and we've seen spock have issues in command before and you could say the same to a degree with Archer and T'Pol as well. So I feel like those two, there's actually, like, a need to kind of establish a peace in their absence. Whereas, like, the other ones, it's like, ah, they'll be okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, Cameron, I'm very curious, you know, just with the dynamic playing out uh, among all these characters. Uh, Like, it, it's almost as if everybody kind of gets a showcase moment here in the Tholian web. Mm-hmm. Uhura. Um, like one of my favorite moments with her where it's like, she's relieved to know that she's not in this falling into this delirium as well. Um, Gaudy <laughs> yeah. has like uh, a lot of good stuff to do. Well, it, like he's, he's more utilitarian, which is, I guess what I'm saying is is kind of a, a surprisingly ensemble episode in which Kirk is notably absent for a lot of it. Uh, we have, you know, a, a lot of Chekhov stuff too. Um, my favorite was the guy who uh, started going crazy during the big meeting uh, that uh, Spock used to address the crew and tell him that uh,
1: Kirk was gone and that guy just totally flipped <laughs> out, you know? But <laughs> That felt like, like a Simpsons joke. The guy that, like, screams and jumps out the window.
0: <laughs> Actually, thinking of uh, Simpsons, um, it really reminded me when they're giving the uh, the... A cure for this delirium and it contained alcohol it made me think of that homer simpson line where he's like to
1: alcohol the cause <laughs> of and solution to all of life's problems <laughs> i like that that moment though where they have the cure kirk leaves and it's just bones and spock sharing it there in that moment alone i like that they actually do still give the two of them kind of a final moment yeah
0: um cam other crews how would they fare in a Tholian web, you know? And, and look, we, we saw how the Mir Enterprise crew did. And by Enterprise, I'm talking about NX-01. Um, they actually kind of made their way out of it uh, to the point that Hoshi Sato was being able to... <laughs> she became Empress yeah. of uh, the Mir Universe Empire there, the Terran Empire there. Uh, so we kind of, we can figure that I bet the NX-01 crew. Could have figured their way out of it if the uh, their mere counterparts could have. Who do you think would
1: have struggled the most in a Tholian web situation? I, I feel like the ones that would struggle the most would be the ones who have kind of earlier technology. So I think of like um, whether it's you know this crew or the nx one or I I guess maybe the uh, the Pike crew. I, I I guess I was thinking not not so much in kind
0: of the uh uh I, I, struggling with with. with the pressure of the situation, you know, like not not the uh, the mechanical parts of getting out uh, of the Tholian web, but uh, under a situation in which you are being enveloped by an enemy and there's kind of a countdown timer here.
1: Yeah, I think the one that would deal with it the worst would maybe be the um, crew of Picard Season 1. Uh, <laughs> I feel like it's the team that's going to be the most, like, focused and professional and calm under fire. Like, I look at the DS9 crew, and there's kind of, like, a little more volatility going on. So I don't know that they would necessarily deal with it in the same way. I think... It also probably depends on the season as well. It does, Uh, yeah. That's another thing. Yeah, if it's like Season 1 DS9, who knows what's going on in that season? (laughs) (laughs) There'd be uh, Bajoran farmers trying to solve the Tholian web problem. That was actually my one little gripe with this episode, and I very much enjoy this episode, but I felt like the tension of kind of the expanding Tholian web wasn't quite conveyed in a way that builds tension the way that something like the Doomsday Machine does. Like, mm-hmm. maybe even like a, the web is 70% complete, 80% complete. Give us that kind of ticking clock versus just shots of a web. Yeah.
0: Um. This is a good episode in that it's kind of a... Uh, well, I guess we get, like, a, a, a semi-sequel to it in Amir Darkly, uh, the mm-hmm. Enterprise two-parter, in which we kind of find out what happened to the Defiant is one of those mysteries that, did, did it really need to be addressed? No, not really, but they came up with, like, a, a cool idea that, you know, kind of sprung forth, like, uh, other stuff that it, it, it paid off not only in Amir Darkly, it also paid off going into Discovery when we venture in the Mir universe there, and we're talking about how the Terran Empire became so dominant. And the fact that they had this technology, um, you know, moving from the NX-01 era onward and that they were able to kind of seize upon. So, uh, you know, and so dominant across the galaxy that they were able to bring in so many other species under their control there. So, I I mean, I I just like how this episode kind of continues to inform where this franchise is going, not just from kind of, you know, character dynamics, but I would say from kind of the, the Star Trek mythology as well.
1: Yeah, I believe it was Mike Sussman, who his favorite episodes of the original series were the Tholian Web and Mirror Mirror. And he found a very clever way to combine the two of them and continue that mythology going forward. What I like about it is we watch so many things now in entertainment where it's just like kind of that like fan service kind of stuff. Whereas it feels like an organic story direction to go within the Defiant stuff because that flickering ship in space, that green ship, it is left a mystery. You really don't know where it went. And the fact they were able to just kind of play that off in such a fun, engaging way in in a mirror darkly, it just feels natural. It doesn't feel like you're kind of bending over backwards to accommodate a tribute to a, you know, classic episode. Do you remember
0: that I do have like a model of the Defiance? Uh, It was kind of that it's green and translucent on it's a pretty large model i like i won it at one of the star trek conventions like way back in the day oh and um it's different how did you win it uh i i I don't think it was from the trivia uh contest that i won um i think it was from one of the uh like uh, you know like back like they'd have like kind of a some sort of events where it wasn't just like the one trek mine where you give it a suggestion and you go get to pick a prize up from the stage, but it was it was something like notable and it it may have even actually been in Seattle that I won it
1: somehow, uh, but okay. um it wasn't the Trek limbo contest, the famous one that's held every year. <laughs> no, well, I cheat every year. I just hop over the limbo <laughs> stick
0: um people try to kick me off you do the wind dancer sort of routine where you just use your head to float under cam (laughs) um uh, but do you remember i also won uh, for the actual uh las vegas star trek uh trivia contest that i did win i think in 2018 i won a uh a model of the enterprise there and i think it was it uh why was it? it was like a translucent orange version And it was trying to depict the Enterprise, like, uh, blowing up. And so I've got, like, a translucent green Defiant and a translucent orange 1701 that I've kept the 1701 in its package because it was, like, a Comic-Con exclusive. So I'm just like, you know, uh, we'll see how long I can uh, hang on to this before I try to sell it on eBay or something like that.
1: I would be very curious what you would sell it for on eBay. Speaking as someone who's tried to sell a uh, boxed TNG Romulan Warbird on various uh, second-hand uh, selling uh, locations.
0: Well, you know what? Those micro-machines just aren't worth what you might think, sir.
1: Uh, It wasn't micro-machines. It was the Playmates one, and uh, not easy out there. (laughs) Well, you really improved my joke by um, crapping on my point
0: there. You're welcome. Um, You're welcome. (laughs) I do want to... Okay, here's one thing that popped up to me with regards to kind of the depiction of... uh, kind of a a sci-fi sort of depiction that we often see, but uh, the, the helmets... Used here. it's like instead of kind of glass, mm-hmm. they go with kind of this mosquito netting to a certain degree, which I think it's actually good in that like one of the things you can always struggle uh, with if you're filming something like a sci fi, uh, you know, film or TV show, and they've got the glass helmets, and you can tell that they're always struggling with the lighting, you know, yeah, um, I was watching uh, Prometheus, the Ridley Scott's alien c- uh, prequel, uh, a few days ago. And they have there's so much helmet wearing in that movie. There's a lot of helmet wearing in that movie. And you can tell that they're always, I don't want to say struggling, but that they're always trying to navigate the lighting and making sure that it's not, you know, um, kind of blocking people's faces. I don't understand why in, in this day and age, where they'll use digital effects for everything, why not just, like, have kind of people's heads almost like alfresco and, you know, just, just put, like, some sort of, like, digital sort of, like, fake glass in mm-hmm. post-production you know which w- would be like kind of relatively cheap to do especially when you consider kind of the production costs you would save on filming because they uh, can you imagine the time wasted on set trying to navigate like kind of the lights and making sure it's not hitting people in the helmet in a way that's going to disrupt uh, the kind of the image you're trying to uh, uh photograph there if you just did it like post-production people are walking around with like their heads out in the open maybe kind of like some sort of like back paneling that would obviously work. And then kind of, you wouldn't have to actually depict like a glass helmets, like in live action there. Does that make any sort of sense or do I sound nuts right now?
1: No, that does make sense. And also like, this is a lower budget. So it's actually a very clever workaround that allows these actors just don these outfits and walk onto the set with fairly minimal demands from the crew. And another thing about it that really stood out to me is that like, they look kind of funny and they look kind of unique, and I watch a lot of 50s sci-fi and 60s sci-fi, and a lot of the time they put them in almost just kind of like generic, you know, astronaut suits basically, and there's a sameness to a lot of those visions of what people would wear in space, and there's something about these Star Trek ones that they feel very distinct and unique, and they really do stand out from All the other things that you see around this time period, and it is because I'm sure they were like, what's easy that the actors can take on and off, that we can shoot quickly with, and yet they really do stand the test of time. They look very interesting, Um, and I have a Playmates figure of Kirk wearing one of these, and there is a two-pack Tholian web set that I've never bought, but I was so so tempted watching this episode to pick up in Vegas this summer where it's Spock wearing one and then like translucent Kirk wearing one. Oh wow that's pretty cool yeah I've always like kind of held back because I'm like you know what I've already got you know Kirk wearing like the uniform do- or the outfit do I need another one but the fact that it's translucent and I don't have a Spock I'm really second guessing that life decision at this moment
0: Another thing that uh, I think the helmet, the design of the helmet actually helps out with um, in terms of them using kind of this almost like fencing helmet sort of netting is Mm -hmm. that uh, you're not dealing with that constant condensation that always kind of appears when you're filming like sci-fi stuff where like, it's just like, (laughs) it looks like fishbowls filling up
1: with steam whenever Mm -hmm. the actors are saying their lines. These are also perhaps the most cosplay friendly approaches to such a outfit could you imagine having to walk
0: around that helmet all day in vegas i can now or like not this not this helmet but like like a kind of a side uh, the the first contact um uh ev suit helmet though
1: after working an eight-hour shift in a giant um pinocchio fox costume this year yes i can actually imagine wearing this through an entire day of a convention uh it would not be pleasant Oh, and uh for listeners
0: out there, uh Cam is a firefighter. Um it, it was yeah, just a lot true. of very strange reactions uh when he arrived at the scene and he was dressed up as a giant fox.
1: I lost a lot of fur going into that house fire. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh a couple other little things that like I I want to point out about this episode. Um Nurse Chapel. Eh, <laughs> we talked about this when Strange New Worlds was running in, in its second season. Um this character in the original series versus Strange New Worlds, completely different characters. We see McCoy being attacked um, when that first guy is going through that kind of delirium. And Chapel's just kind of hanging back, um, casually gets a hypospray ready to go. Um, <laughs> Strange New Worlds Chapel, she'd be doing a cartwheel through the door, ninja chopping the guy into some sort of, like, comatose state in order to save McCoy.
1: Well, we saw in the episode The Serene Squall from Season 1 Strange New Worlds, like, Chapel doing... Like um, medical drug kung fu, basically, like taking people out with those sprays, hypo sprays. So it was a little jarring watching this episode last night and seeing her very gingerly (laughs) slowly approach him and just like, (laughs) not quite the same thing. How do we like
0: kind of like mind cannon it in our heads, you know, in terms of like how chapel ended up, you know, where she was in Strange New Worlds to where she gets in the original series. Like, I, I I genuinely like Strange New Worlds Chapel, but she is not the same character. That Corby
1: relationship must really oh. change her as a person.
0: I, you know what? I am just going to go with that. Corby. Corby did yeah. something. like that, that He Maybe it's not only androids he specializes in. Maybe he really messed her up in a way that we just could not comprehend at this point.
1: And speaking about connectivity between Strange New Worlds and this episode... I was wondering to myself as I was watching it, you know, the journey of Spock we've seen from Galileo 7 to here. When I look at the Spock of Strange New Worlds, does it feel like he's almost progressed too far past where he would be for like the Galileo 7 story? Like, I don't know that I can picture the Ethan Peck Spock behaving the way that Spock does in Galileo 7, especially going off the season 2 opener where we saw Spock in charge.
0: Well, okay, so I I always try to mind canon these sorts of things, you know, and like that, that's what I wonder about now, you know, because we've seen Spock in the command seat, you know, in in season two of Strange New Worlds as well. He he seemed to acquit himself uh, well. The thing that I I think about is, um, you know, uh, Spock in the motion picture goes through Kolinar, and he's a very different Spock than the one we get, you know, the movie era Spock versus the tv era spock i wonder if there's some other vulcan ritual that he goes through towards the Mm -hmm. end of strange new worlds run that kind of makes us understand um spock in the original series a
1: little better like the um the um experience to purge all leadership qualities from him (laughs) yes
0: that classic (laughs) vulcan ritual yeah Oh, Cam. Okay, you know me. I've been going through this run of uh, Alien movies right now, and uh, yeah. I, I, I alluded to it. Like I had just watched Prometheus the other day. Um, the last one I watched was Alien Covenant in which um, James Franco dies within the first, like, 30 seconds of the movie, and yeah. uh, he was supposed to be captain of the ship, and they give it to Billy Kudrup, who is the most unqualified ship's <laughs> captain in, like, zero leadership qualities. Nobody yeah. trusts in him. Everybody's undermining him, and he's very kind of, like, um, kind of temper tantrum-y about, like, people not listening to it's. It's like uh, he went through that same Vulcan ritual, I'm pretty sure.
1: Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Uh, I had another, actually, question about Strange New Worlds and the dynamic here of Spock and Bones, where I am very interested. We have obviously had Kirk show up on Strange New Worlds. We've already established just a little bit of the dynamic with him and Spock on the show. Do you think we could see, like, McCoy join the show and spend time with the Ethan Peck Spock before Kirk joins, where we could actually see the two of them having a dynamic before Kirk kind of assumes the center stage role?
0: Huh. Uh, that's not something I had necessarily considered. Like, in my head, I always pictured, like, you know, it. it it's Kirk bringing... Like, I'll answer your question, but in my head, yeah. I always pictured Kirk bringing McCoy to the ship when he takes command versus McCoy showing up first. So, um, but let me consider your question. Um, I just... I. <laughs> What, is that why pike decided to take that promotion and leave the ship he just could not deal <laughs> with the sniping that uh, they're delivering
1: uh back and forth i mean like i think it would be too much without kirk being there as kind of a mediator i know it's like to me i'm in the same boat as you like i picture kirk bringing uh, bones over but i would be more interested in a way of seeing the story like maybe an episode or something about Spock having to spend time with Bones before you have that kind of Kirk bonding and the familiarity of the three of them working together. I think that could actually be a really interesting insight into both characters. Let's leave it for the series finale and it's just them like fighting nonstop. <laughs> Stranded on a planet somewhere, just yelling at each other. <laughs> it's the Galileo uh, six. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Or it's maybe Galileo two, if it's just the two of them.
0: <laughs> um, So sir, Uh, Tholians. So we got to see them in Amir Darkly. Um, mm-hmm. We really haven't seen them since. Um, we need more Tholians moving forward, right? And, and I, I think the amount of Tholians we've gotten it actually makes us want to see them more. I, I don't think they need to overdo the Tholians. I, I think we're we're kind of venturing into territory and in strange new worlds where, like, are we? We're we getting a little bit too much Gorn. Like, that's yeah my only concern. Um, I, I don't think they've overdone it just yet, but I, I'm worried they might. I, I I wonder if we get like a Tholian. Well, actually, no. Okay, so here's the thing that's always kind of confusing. They didn't say explicitly this is the first time they've ever encountered Tholians, though, right?
1: No. Here in this episode. No, no.
0: Yeah, so I think you can introduce the Tholians, but it's like, but then what do you do with them without just kind of repeating some of the dynamics here? And in if that's the case, like, why call them the Tholians when they, some other alien that we've never met before could serve the same kind of antagonistic purpose? That's why I wonder if maybe the Tholians maybe belong... I don't put them in discovery where maybe, I don't know, maybe they're in the Federation now or something like that.
1: Yeah. To me, the Tholians work best as being somewhat mysterious. Like the visual is very cool. And obviously their ships and method of trapping foe is very interesting and iconic, but like, I think more of when you look at some of the other shows like DS nine or TNG, they'll have characters reference events that happen with Tholians, so we know they're part of the fabric of the universe, but we never feel like we fully know them as an alien species, and that's something I always thought was really cool, and I mean, even like, um, you know, Moose Riker, Riker's father, I believe was the uh, only survivor of like a Tholian attack, and that's just like baked into the DNA of the character, we don't know the specifics, but it kind of establishes the Tholians as someone who can be threatening, but we also know that they're capable of being, you know, Cordial to work with. I believe Cassidy Yates was like delivering to them or something along those lines. Yeah. That's right. So it's like the idea is like they aren't like just the pure, you know, antagonistic alien. They maybe are prickly. Maybe they have a method of approaching, you know, other ships that is not the same as the way that Starfleet would conduct themselves. But I like that we don't quite know fully what it is. And I don't want to see it explained. I like that they are kind of like, in a way, they're almost like sometimes like a, early Klingons were, where you didn't quite know and they weren't necessarily portrayed all the time as, you know, quote-unquote evil. Mm-hmm. I, I, one of the lost
0: opportunities I, I think might have been kind of including more of a menagerie of different antagonistic TOS characters in the Dominion War. Mm. You know, we ended up getting the Breen eventually joining that alliance. Um, I never got the sense that the Breen, you know, controlled, like, uh, anything more than a little sliver of the Alpha Quadrant, you know? Um, yeah. They had some, like, Uh, pretty badass technology, I suppose, but it, it wouldn't kind of cool if they said you know what the orion syndicate they're on the dominion side the uh the tholian assembly is on the dominion side the the gorn hegemony they've now joined the dominion as well we didn't necessarily have to see them portrayed on screen or anything but i think it would have given kind of the dominion war even more of that kind of tension you know it's not it's the klingons and romulans and fed- federation all against you know the gorn this orions the the tholian the uh the, the
1: dominion like that would have been pretty cool It would be interesting just to see, like, even, like, yeah, future show, and those are set many years after um, the original series, to have, like, the Tholians as allies just acknowledged, and that would just be interesting unto itself, because you go, like, wow, like, it's interesting how you'd have them set up as somewhat antagonistic in the Tholian web episode, and years later, they are, you know, allies, or maybe uneasy allies, but willing to work with the Federation. I would always like to kind of have a better sense as to the evolution of the species after this, you know, early contact, it seems, in this episode. And I was just thinking to myself while you were, you know, talking about DS9 there, I wonder if we could see, like, a Tholian presence on Prodigy. Um, I think that would actually work really well, because as cool as they look on the original series and on Enterprise, I think, like, animation would work really well for the Tholians. It'd probably serve them better
0: as well. Like I, I think there's kind of a uh, <laughs> the concern they'd look a little cheesy, yeah. you know, being depicted in live action. You know, whereas if you see them in animation, I know what you're saying with Prodigy, um, which is a way uh the most cinematic um, and impressive looking like Star Trek series. And, and people who haven't watched Prodigy are like, what the kids show? Really? Um, yes, like it, it looks absolutely exquisite in terms of how they depict uh, outer space. Um, just the gravitas they give to it. Um, I would love to see Pro- Prodigy
1: depict the Tholians at some point. And I mean, I'm sure that lower decks will work in Tholians at some point. But like to me, there's something about I think the kind of the grandeur, and sort of the um, the attempt to kind of evolve the concept that Prodigy would deliver a little more so than lower decks would. Yeah.
0: So it's interesting, you know, you take an episode from like 50 plus years ago, and it's still kind of informing. You know, not not intentionally, but, like, kind of how Star Trek works in terms of, like, interpersonal dynamics, uh, the mythology. It is, it obviously, like, it's had the influence on writers that have come since then. So this is, like, a pretty cool episode. Um, you know, people might look at season three of the original series. And it was interesting. Like, you and I were trying to figure out what episode of the original series we wanted to cover next. Hmm. We were looking at season three because we haven't done that as much. And we are kind of like, you know what? There, there's some pretty good like more solid episodes than you might expect from season three and i think this is just one more example of this and the thing is they weren't busting the budget on this you know they, they had to have another ship well it was just kind of a mirror of the enterprise there you know and it's them as you say cam like um being practical about the way they kind of save money in these sorts of situations and it lends itself to better drama i think
1: yeah no i mean it's in many ways just a bottle episode but it's done incredibly well and it feels cinematic and it feels big and that's something the original series was always very good at and I'm kind of in awe when I watch an episode like this because there's just so much like ingenuity I think of like even when you're having the characters have their freakouts and suddenly the camera will do kind of like the fisheye lens or kind of like the drunk cam kind of look just to kind of communicate what is happening and that's one thing, you know, you and I had talked about, like, wanting more visual imagination on Star Trek when we were getting, like, the launch of Discovery and stuff like that. They have definitely gone heavier with, like, effects and stuff. But I sometimes wonder if they've tackled kind of the level of ingenuity and creativity that, like, a show like this does. I, well, it's definitely easy
0: to kind of, like, say, like, oh, yeah, we'll throw, like, a bigger budget at it. And yeah, I, I'd rather them uh, – I would love to see a Star Trek show, like, a new one in which almost every episode has to be a bottle episode because they're trying to save on money, which means mm-hmm. that they're going to have to focus on the character dynamics much more so than the, uh, the ships going pew, pew, pew.
1: Yeah, oh, for sure. And Tyler, I had one final trivia note that I'd found on this episode that I'd totally forgotten, which is that, um, you know, we were talking about how the various crews would react to the Tholians. And I had forgotten that Pike was staging a Tholian attack in that short trek Ask Not to put that cadet through personal hell.
0: Oh, that's okay. So we do know that uh, that, <laughs> that uh, the the strange new worlds leaving the door open for more Tholian encounters there. Um, that was a really weird short track, and there have been a <laughs> lot of really weir- weird short tracks.
1: That is true. Pike was inspired by the Tholians, so there you go. Okay, so on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash pod. Tyler, what are we doing next week?
0: It's our final episode of 2023. We are going to be doing our best of, which is not just us, you know, going to like old clips, which we will include. But it's us kind of summarizing the year that was in Star Trek, our own experiences, uh, what we hope, you know, coming up uh, next year as well. Uh, what next year might look like, too um cam uh this is always like one of my favorite episodes to record every year uh there are inevitably bloopers which i always like it when you and i look like um it's uh total morons which i know uh, we actually make it pretty easy on our listeners to listen to that every day so um, they assume
1: yeah. that the episodes are all bloopers <laughs> <laughs> it's just an assembly
0: a tholian assembly
1: of bloopers that's right that's right Okay, you can, of course, also find us on X, or Twitter, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) X, (laughs) sure. I'm at Cam, V as in Vanishing Defiant, Smith. Uh, You can find me at Reporton, that's
0: R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N, N N as in Negroni. That's the kind of medicinal cure I'd like to have later
1: on tonight. (laughs) Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. The Archer Death Tape is just, head back to Earth the mission is over (laughs) Um, these gazelles can no longer spring through the savannah anymore Um... it's not going to be a long time getting from there to here (laughs) no